Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. If anyone could make the case for releasing club music at a time in history when all the clubs are closed, it's Shy Girl. Back in November, the London artist dropped her biggest work to date, Alias, an EP that funneled her signature vulgarities through barreling beats and Bratz doll-like avatars. Now she's emerging from lockdown as a cult icon, her lascivious swagger dripping out of the rave and into the mainstream. Between the blood-curdling scream from Uckers going viral on TikTok, troves of memes parodying the stretch skin of the Alias cover art, a Burberry campaign and a forthcoming Lady Gaga remix, it feels like Shy Girl's moment. On the heels of her new single with Slowtie, BDE, the fader Salvatore Mackie caught up with Shy to discuss the aftermath of Alias, the challenges of filming her new short film Blue, and her many current textural fascinations. How are things out in London? It's good. It's good. You know, it's been weird kind of getting into a new normal and um, being outside a bit. I've been lucky enough to be able to travel for work and stuff, but it's different when you're when you're out and you're working or you're shooting something like the idea of being social again is such a weird concept. It's kind of been hard to readjust because I I found that I really do like my own company a lot (laughs) yeah have you felt like a bit of agoraphobia set in because I have yeah totally and and also you know like I did a lot from being inside so I I put out a lot in that time and haven't really kind of like felt the public reception of it until recently and it's it's been so positive and like I think a lot more people are aware of what I do now than before and I think that was quite a weird adjustment like even the other day I was out with my dad I saw him for if we had father's day I went out with my dad and someone recognized me and I was like in really like suburban London like way back in like south London and I didn't I didn't I don't know I just didn't really expect anyone to know who I was (laughs) like it's such a weird concept and especially like to come up to me while I was like having dinner with my dad I'm kind of not used to that but it's been happening a lot more recently, I guess, because we've been outside, you know. For sure. I mean, we kind of entered this, you know, pandemic state with Shy Girl kind of being regarded as more of a relatively DIY endeavor. And now you're coming out of it as one of the faces of Burberry. I mean, that's a lot to process. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I definitely am someone who constantly, um, I don't know, I think think I've taken a bit of a jump, I guess, and what people would have expected for an artist like me but but I think it's generally like reflective of you know what people are listening to and what they want and what they're doing as well you know I think that was something like me thinking I'm not going to be recognized in South London is me thinking you know the the type of people who listen to my music and I'm to be honest I I generally always kind of think it's like the queer community and I grew up in South London and I never really felt the queer community there so I didn't think I'd be recognized there but actually the queer community is way more out and proud than than it was when I was growing up and so there are people that I listen to my music then and and actually it's a bit more diverse than just the queer community as well like I think there's something in the freedom of what I do that speaks to a lot of people at the moment. Totally. I think it kind of draws the freak, if you will, out of people. And and maybe that's always there. And, you know, you just kind of need it reminded. I think as well, there's there's something what I guess what I've always, you know, wanted to do is prove that, yeah, we might have our like 
niches where we feel most comfortable but actually we have a lot of common ground you know there's loads of different like people are way more intersectional you know than than previously you don't have to be so in your tribes and I think that's kind of what I've always kind of pushed for in this music where and how I present myself is that you know don't just expect something small from me or whatever you expect I'm gonna do something slightly different the next time or you're gonna see me dress slightly differently there's no comfortable space like every space I'm gonna like insert myself into if that makes sense (laughs) it's wild because it feels like alias dropped ages ago but maybe it was just because it felt like an entirely kind of like a different world uh back in November it was a much darker time you know like when the pandemic kind of started settling in did the thought of you know maybe I should wait this out and put this music out when we can be together again did that ever cross your mind or was it like you know no I think I mean it probably crossed my like manager's mind (laughs) but (laughs) I was like I need to get this out also I was just working you know at my own pace the whole thing really felt like it was at my own pace I didn't really feel like I had any crazy deadlines but once it was done I was like it it should come out like and I have the ideas and I know what I want to do and uh, to be honest the way the music industry was structured slightly before that I felt was really rigid and I was always kind of looking to to do things in my own way and then when Covid happened it really facilitated that you know like I'm someone who really enjoys like all elements of you know putting out music not just like making the music but working on the creative for the videos like fleshing out the concept because for me, for me that I I didn't really think of that stuff whilst I was making the music I was really just seeing what came through naturally and it was only afterwards that I looked at everything and was like okay what is this actually saying about me and what do I want it to say and how do I want to say that to people and then I just really had was so much more time than I would have usually had to to flesh that out because usually I'd have shows and stuff in between and that's a different headspace to performing and you know working on a treatment for a video are two different spaces and I really like to to dive into to both of them so it's like that's hard to do whilst it's happening at the same time and especially whilst I'm still in the introductory stages of what I'm doing and how I'm speaking to my audience. I feel a bit, a bit better prepared to to do shows and, and work on creative now, but because I think I've kind of set a standard of how I like to work and, and have a really good team. So now I am wondering, did the aliases arise out of the songs or did the songs come out of the idea of aliases? I guess this is a hard one to explain because it's like, I don't, I feel like I was unearthing a language, you know, in in the creative to better describe what has always been going on with me, how I manoeuvre through the world. So the this music that I was making and the energy that I was bringing into each track or in the room when I was making it, it's not just, you know, the lyrics of the song, but also how I feel when I'm performing them or when I was dipping into memories to write them. Who was I being when I delivered it like this? And like I was asking myself those questions, you know, and, and how how often does that energy come forward? And like, do I feel like that's a, a solid part of me? And actually, I just haven't had the time to really review that in myself, you know, be reflective on that. Especially with like Bonk, that the, 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 the idea of her as a character had started coming through in the earlier EP called Practice when I did Gush, you know, and I painted myself with 
with like clown makeup and I also did that again in another shoot and like I was like where does that kind of energy come from where I just want to like you know wear a mask sometimes because it was a similar mood in each of those experiences where I wasn't in the mood or you know I've turned up to this photo but I was like I'm not in the mood I'm gonna get in the mood by painting my face so ridiculously so that you know you have to kind of feel the boots of that character and and I think there's a lot of that in in the aliases and sometimes I, I kind of really felt like I was dissecting myself almost to present myself better to to an audience you know the idea of an alias how truly alias is is that concept when you can only ever really be yourself you know it's you being those characters so that character must say something about you I'm a fake, yeah, no. With the aliases, I was wondering, like, did you kind of grow up with Bratz dolls as a part of your childhood? Do you know, I had one Bratz doll. I think they were a bit pricey, so I didn't get that many. But I had, like, Barbies, and I had, also had, like, Polly Pocket, and, like, all these, like, images of, of women, you know, and this, this ideal woman, this doll-like thing, and these exaggerated features that they felt, like, alien to me. Like, you know, when you're a kid... You don't look like the toys that you're playing with. And for me, especially because I just grew around so much like white imageries, like white dolls, you know, the the black dolls had very Eurasian features. It was just interesting to me, like the way I assimilated with it is I didn't really reject it. I didn't I didn't dislike it. I loved the fact that it was it was so different from me, I guess. It made the fantasy more applicable. It made like playing, I, it's the only life I knew in terms of um, cartoons and toys and stuff like that. And like this idea that rather than wishing I looked like that, but it was nice to be able to escape, I guess, reality. I don't want dolls that look exactly like me. You know, I didn't want to make alias characters that looked exactly like me. Like I'm happy with what I look like and I enjoy my the reality of myself. But like fantasy is a nice thing to dip into every so often. I also read that you collected stones and gems since you were since you were kind of young. You know, is that a collection that you're still accumulating? I haven't for a long while. I think it was something about like, you know, everyone getting really into quartz and stuff and like the energy of stones that like, kind of put me off for a minute. But when I was when I was young and I'm talking like really young, like 12, um, wherever I went, like I always found a store somewhere that sold these like natural gems and I like find the smoothest one because I used to find it really soothing to just like I'd have it in class or I'd pick like two of my favorites that day and I'd have one and I'd just like rub them all day long and it would be like really soothing to me because I have a real thing about textures and I'm quite a tactile person I think that shows in like the the work as well like I'm always choosing uh colors or you know textures in the videos that feel really visceral because I think for me that's like such a a strong sensation. Even in the like, you know, when I look at people who've had like loads of like plastic surgery and stuff, there's something like 
really interesting about this desire for like smooth rounded plump edges and like all this stuff I don't know I'm just fascinated by it like I find a lot of things fascinating (laughs) and I think that's like a big uh the big like joy of life you know to be fascinated by stuff and I want to be able to like share that with people and when when I make stuff I'm like okay well I'm really fascinated by this I want to be able to share exactly how I see it so that maybe someone can feel how I feel when they see it, you know? So there's some, an ASMR quality about using um, text, like trying to emulate textures in, in visuals and especially with like Freak, I think the, the first video of the, the EP where I just wanted this like gooey, slimy space, like, I don't know, it's really fun. Like it's, it feels like being a kid again. Is there anything you're fixated on right now or kind of fascinated with in this present moment? Water, like in liquid. I've been really busy lately and there's a big desire for like, I want to I wanna have a break. But for me, like a break has to involve water of some kind, whether I'm in like a pool or by the sea. But I just don't feel calm until I'm around a huge body of water. And I'm fascinated by like the wildness of it you know when you look at the ocean and it decides to stop at the coast it's like it could just not (laughs) it could just like come forward there's so much power in water it's so beautiful but has like a mind of its own it can turn on you like you can drown in a shallow pool but like it's it's really beautiful that like danger I guess of something beautiful is really attractive now I haven't seen your live performance blue yet but does that aquatic element kind of come through in any way there's a scene where I wanted loads of foam and I'm like inside the car um and we've got like loads of foam running around the outside you know like water and wetness is such a an easy association with women you know like that's it's it's there it's there to be played with so I wanted to play with that because I was looking at the designer actually the other day this I read something she she said in an interview to Pepsa she explores wetness in her clothing and she said something about how there's such a taboo about that with women you know and enjoying that and also that that sexualized concept being forced upon you as well and I was like yeah exactly you know when someone says something better than you could have ever said it and I was like that's exactly why I'm so drawn to like playing with it and you know, asserting it on my own terms and being like, it's it's about acknowledging, you know, comfortability in your own sensuality almost and something so natural as water. Right. I mean, the word moist, let's talk about that. It's taboo, <laughs> but would you prefer like a drought? Would you prefer dry and cracked? <laughs> Literally, I, I love that word. I love moist. It was an insult when, we was, when I was at school. It's like, if a guy is always used against guys actually which is so funny um but someone be like oh he's moist he's moist and i just even the way they say it i was like isn't that fun isn't that fun i was like yeah i want to be moist (laughs) oh man i haven't heard it hurled like that as an insult like i just like here it's like people say it and they're like they're like oh like this cake is moist and then like everyone at the table is like oh like oh i don't like that and it's like why you don't want i want moist I'm that guy who says it to make everyone squeamish. I'm like, yeah, but check. Like, you really like it. Like, they get there because they're embarrassed because they like it.
Tell me more about this blue performance. I'm curious, you know, how did it kind of come to fruition? As an artist, like everyone's like, everyone's looking at each other and what everyone's doing and everyone's doing these live performance things. And I'm like, I avoided doing, you know, any of the virtual stuff for ages because it's not what I enjoy about live. If I'm going to do something virtually, I'm going to do something different virtually, you know? It doesn't have to be like one size fits all, but the things I loved about live was being on the stage and falling into a character because that's what the stage is to me. It's a, it's a theatre, it's, it's performance. And how can I bring that theatricalness like back into this, you know, into this new staging where things are pre-recorded? Because I prefer to pre-record at this stage. I really wanted something where I had a little bit more control in presenting it because you know, again, this is an opportunity. Like, when else would I get to really assert how I would like to be consumed entirely live? You know, there's always other constraints for some of these, like, festival shows. It's, like, money or travelling with stuff, you know. It's, it's, like, logistically a nightmare sometimes. So I have this opportunity here to present myself the way I want to be presented and to kind of give someone a, a like a step to understanding me and translating it later on if they wanted to like from this place you know where I've said this is how I like it also like I hadn't really had any time to to live a little bit longer in the alias songs you know we hadn't, hadn't had the opportunity to to do shows and that's really how you live in the moment of a release right so I kind of had this opportunity to do this thing and I was like, oh, I'm not going to do all the songs because actually some of the songs I don't think would would live to their fullest potential in this setting and I want them to be like, you know, things like Tasty isn't in this, but I play it for a second, but it's not performed in this because Tasty for me was that like big summer song, you know, it involved people and dancing and to be outside because I wrote that song outside in the park (laughs) and I was like... I don't want to bring this song back into the studio, actually. It's not what it is for me. And for Blue, I wanted to... It was like a self-reference moment because I'm obviously obsessed with cars in some way and I I never realised I was until I just keep going back to cars as, like, a, a thing. But it was like I had the most fun making the BB music video just before, I guess, like, a, my, like, people became a bit more aware of me. And I wanted to reference that a little bit and kind of live in the world I'd started to create with that video which was kind of BB was based off this girlfriend of like your dealer who like sits in the car or something while you're like awkwardly picking up and like there's the girlfriend's always kind of like a little bit fab and she's like quiet you're like does she hate me like what's she thinking you know like that's who I was in the BB music video and uh, I kind of wanted to expand upon that a little bit more you know like using myself as a reference and seeing like what world I could create with the new songs with that basis I was like okay how many things can we do with a car like let's just run away with it with this so like we had a car I I said let's cut a car in half like let's do that so we did that and uh, I was like I want to be filmed from above like I want to see the car from a different angle I want the car to be up higher than the ground I was like I want all these things so I can different ways of presenting the same scene almost because it's like when you're on stage you have one scene and 
not you can't change so many components all the time like unless you're like a huge artist like you know ariana who has like loads of loads of set going on or whatever but like i'm still in the early stages i think we definitely got the most out of what you can do with a car whilst like presenting the like kind of all collecting together the aliases that i'd i'd put out there like I'm I'm wearing like one uh, one look throughout the whole thing, but pieces of the look change. You know, I felt felt like that was important about you know creating this co- continuity and kind of trying to bring the the sides of me together, but showing you that there's different ways to reflect these different like personality traits almost, and like the energy that you put across on screen, and my relationship with the camera and how voyeuristic that could be. And, if you're given this opportunity to to perform in this way, like the audience should be able to see, you know, more angles of you or, you know, closer than they would ever get if you were on the stage. And and that was really important to me when I was making this like movie almost, you know, like with Freak, like I'm inside the car, it's voyeuristic, it's like different angles shot inside the car, like static cameras. And I'm obviously like, in my element always because I'm just because Freak is such a moany song you know I'm like moaning I'm like <laughs> performing and then and there's water foam running down the side of the car it's it's on the nose like of what it is because that's what the song is you know the song is like in your face about what it is the whole way through so why would the performance be any more subtle than that yeah so did you feel like recording this you got to maybe distill as pure of an expression as you would have liked to because I was reading your tweets and and I do agree with you about heavy-handed male camera crews and and maybe how the expression isn't as emphatic as you perhaps would want it to be when you're kind of in those situations do you feel like you got to maybe express yourself in in your fullest potential with this? I mean, I wouldn't say to my fullest potential. I'd say we're very nearly there. This shoot in particular, I co-produced it with my creative director as well. I mean, co-directed it. But usually we even co-direct with someone else, you know, because I don't really like dealing with a lot of film crews. They're very, you know, so much masculine energy. Yeah, and they don't want to hear it from the artist. There's not the respect there. And... My background before making music was always in like film and photography anyway. So I definitely have, you know, that I don't know, sensitivity to being respected in, in that and people understanding that I do know what I'm talking about. So I'm, I may be a little sensitive at times, but honestly, the misogynoir that happens on sets is wild, you know, and I'm not the only one that talks about it. Like, people know, like, people who work in the industry know that it happens. And unfortunately, like, I do try and work with a lot of female crews, but, like, sometimes they're just, it's just not available, you know? Someone isn't available and, and or doesn't shoot in the style that you would prefer so you end up working with someone and, and a lot of it, because of this industry, people work on jobs, they might not like the person they work with, they just don't work with them again. But that person is still out there to work with other people. And like a lot of them have really toxic traits. On this set, for instance, it was a two day shoot. And on one of the, the days, the one of the scenes we used like a crane to, to film the final scene and the crane operator was racist 
So <laughs> he was, it was like 8 a.m. by 8.30. Like I was having, I had to have a meeting with everyone to like discuss like what we're going to do about it because he'd already been racist. I think he turned up, he turned up speaking in a Jamaican accent. He's like an older white guy. So already we're like, what are you doing and the production assistants that I had on set were like three three black girls and that he had a conversation with them and ended up saying the n-word you know talking about the difference between racism in America and England which I don't know where he, he had his credentials on that discussion but he said it then and he said that this job requires skill and if they don't have it they should think about retraining as a bus driver or a nurse. He said some wild stuff. And so immediately I'm like, we can't have this guy on set, you know. Basically, there's he was so confident in having that attitude on set because the industry supports it at the end of the day. Like, there's nothing in place to protect people. And when we did, we reported him to Beck2 and the APA, who are the unions that he was associated with. Beck2 said they would investigate the APA, their response was so ridiculous. They ultimately like wanted to shame myself and the producer in coming forward because they were like, we're not the police. We don't find people. Like so They were trying to highlight the ridiculousness of our email and CC'd in every production company that they work with. Luckily for me, like as someone who is intersectional here, as an artist, as a director, you know, I feel that I am able to speak up on it, but there are other people, like people who only, they, their whole job is in the, the filming industry, you know, who cannot speak on it because their livelihood is affected directly. They won't get booked on, on things. And it's sad because when we spoke up about this guy, loads of people came forward to say that they'd had this same experience with him. And it's just a shame that it came to our door to talk about it, but I am glad that I get the chance to talk about it. Because it's a real experience, but before I think about making anything, is like, is it worth the trauma? Because there is going to be trauma on set. It's so funny because there's been so many. I, those are the negatives, but 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 in total, like I really did have some really great experiences on that. And there were so many moments when I was on set when I was so in awe of like seeing it come together, and really proud that some small idea I'd had was being made big in this process. That was like a really big moment for me. It was like the biggest project I've tried to work on and I and I hope to work on even bigger in the future. But the reality also of like facing up to to this kind of attitude that I, I guess I had been avoiding previously and just kind of accepting that it existed and trying to find ways to live around it. And now I think I really want to be defensive of the environment I want to work in creatively like I want to not, like wake up and believe that I can go into work and it would not be toxic you know on some degree like I I want to exist happily in this industry and I do think it's possible like I, I have to think that's possible to continue yeah you have to to get out of bed in the morning to feel empowered and it sounds like in a way that this performance accomplished that for you and kind of got you to that level so I'm really excited to see it I hope everyone likes it. It's so hard when you're working on something and, like, I'm always hypercritical. I'm really trying to learn to, like, chill out. And it is the releasing it to everyone that does make me chill out. Same with the music. Like, once I put it out, it feels like it's 
you know, taken by everyone and adopted and, and I can be happy for the life it's going to live. But before that moment, I'm just anxious. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the internet's going to eat it up just like they've eaten up Alias. You know, could you have anticipated how your fans and, and how, you know, Twitter has kind of eaten up this project? I mean, the memes have been incredible. <laughs> I was so surprised. Like, I really, I really love Alias. I've never felt prouder of something because, you know, music has been such a discovery process for me. And the first EP, I, I really love, but this one felt a, a lot more directional for me. And, you know, it, I, I felt much more of a curator on it, which is something that I guess I, I didn't really have on the first one because I was just kind of dipping a toe in. I just discovered I could make music, you know. And and this one, I was like, okay, so I'm making music. This is what I've got to say. And it, it span over pre-COVID and during COVID and the creative happened within it. It's, I think it's so reflective of, of me as a person and I'm, I'm really happy to stand by that project. So regardless of what anyone was going to think, I was just happy to, to have it out. And it was doubly like an amazing feeling to have people like accept what you've made and, and, and understand it. Right. And to, and to get a little weird with it and, and have fun with it too. During a time when not a lot was, was fun. I think your project gave people a lot of joy. I didn't expect people to, to gag so much over the artwork though. I don't know why. I just thought, I was like, yeah, I just want to see myself flattened out. Like I haven't shot for ages. Like we'd been stuck inside. Like I've been, pigging out on like delivery and and watching movies I was like I guess am I shoot ready like I was like whatever and let me just like discombobulate myself visually and I was like I've been watching loads of sci-fi and Doctor Who and stuff so I was like this totally makes sense for me right now and then everyone was like oh my god like how gross (laughs) but it's fab is around the corner as well how did that come together i mean i feel like it's such an organic collaboration um you and slow tie just makes too much sense um how did you guys meet i think i was supporting mo massa and ty had come out for a couple of the shows because they they have a song together and we didn't even meet properly then but we were kind of like near each other (laughs) i was like very close to him and um and then I can't remember who reached out first. I think his team wants to have a session or something. And then I, I'd already started this track uh, with Karma Kid. I'd like come into the studio, like still up from the night before, which isn't like an everyday occasion. But on this one, I was like, oh, I think I have the best vibe to come work in the studio today with like one hour sleep. And then I think it was like the third song we made in that session, like me and, me and Karma Kid. And as soon as Karma played me this, like it was like, he just had the drums. And as soon as he started that, all the words came to me. And at the time, I'd been hooking up with someone who was like, not giving me any joy. So all the words about that (laughs) came out in the song. And this like desire for satisfaction. And I think I I desire satisfaction in all things. So it was just like, you know, I just tapped into that energy. And then when when I'd done that, I was like, this will be so sick with a male vocalist. 
and brought it to Thai because I've never really heard Thai talk about sex before, you know. Here I'm being so derogatory to men and like objectifying them, you know. I was like, who can stand up to that? That's like definitely gonna be slow Thai. Like he's got that energy that's like can defend himself, you know, he's like funny. And he's honestly the nicest guy. So when we got the chance to to sit in the studio together, we like went back and forth on some stuff, and it was really interesting to to work with him because I haven't actually worked with that many vocalists or like rappers or anything on on my own stuff, especially. And um, just seeing how other people work is still really you know interesting to me and like where what they tap into. And especially when he hasn't spoken about sex before, I was like, okay, you need to be filthy. <laughs> and like, he totally got the brief. <laughs> he, he really went with it. And I, it's my, you know, usually my voice is my favourite part of the song, but his, his bit's definitely my favourite on this song. Kind of branching out a little bit, what does this summer look like for you, Shy? Like, what do you got going on besides career stuff? Like, do you have anything fun lined up? Are you going to go on any trips? Um... Yeah, I'm trying to go to the Caribbean. I I miss it so much. My grandma lives in Grenada. And there's something about, you know, I've been in cities for too long. Like, I've been in London for ages. This is probably the most I've ever stayed in London since I started making music. Well, even before then, I always had a job that I could travel. So, yeah, this... This is a this is a lot. I've I've got two cats in this time. I'm I'm turning into a cat lady, so I need to get out. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking a minute to talk with me. I really appreciated it, and I'm so fucking excited to finally get to live in these songs. I feel like you know we've we've all gotten to process them enough in our own little spaces, but um, I feel like they're like bursting at the seams. And what a treat to kind of get to experience them now in, in, in the world again. Totally. But also thank you so much for giving me the space to talk. And it's such, been such a lovely conversation. And, you know, I'm, I'm constantly surprised because I wonder how long people, people are going to listen to me chat before they get sick of me. <laughs> but, but it's been really lovely to talk to you. So I'm, I'm glad you've asked me. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And, and keep talking. We like, we're, we're listening. <laughs> uh, Perfect. Amazing. Well, enjoy the rest of your day in London. All right. You too. Bye. That was Shy Girl in conversation with the fader Salvatore Mackie. Shy Girl's new single with Slow Tie, BDE is out now via Because Music. Our engineer is Tony Giambroni, and our associate producer is Salvatore Mackey. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. Remember to follow The Fader interview wherever you listen to podcasts, and keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.